This is Jake Friedman speaking, secretary of the Phil Walker Harding fan club. Will all other members in attendance please state their name for the record? Uh, Paul Solomon here, uh, fan club member. I am present. Brendan Hansen, fan club member, present. All right, recording a quorum. We can now begin the meeting. Welcome to Decision Space, the only show to take place right here in the space between the turns in your favorite games. I'm Brendan Hansen. I'm Jake Friedman. And I'm Paul Solomon. And this is the podcast about decisions in games. Today we're going to be talking about Baron Park, a entry weight, kind of family weight, tile placement game by designer Phil Walker Harding. That came out in 2017. Can't wait to get in the conversation with you guys about this wonderful little game. Yeah, I'm really excited as well. And obviously, it's amazing to have Paul, to have you back on the show. Paul Solomon, of course, designer of Genotype, of Honey Buzz, and many other great games. And we're just so lucky to have you back. If you enjoy Paul in this episode, definitely go back and listen to the Star Realms episodes and any of the Jake and Paul Talk Games episodes. Paul, how are you doing today? Guys, thank you for having me. I'd like to let you know, listeners, that you are hearing me on my 39th birthday, and it's a special moment. What? Happy birthday, Paul. Thank you very much. This is how I chose to spend it. So let's really make the most of this time together, okay? That's fantastic. Absolutely. And speaking of Star Realms, I just want to go on a side note here and let you know something. So everybody, you know, fans of the podcast will know Star Realms, my number one game. I love it. Favorite thing. And the community for that game is amazing. And the tradition is that on your birthday... They send you just dozens to hundreds of challenges on the app, and it's called a swarm. And the format coding is sort of like very happy birthday to you. And it is just actually meaningful each year to get like hundreds of challenges from all of my friends on that game. And uh, so I'm kind of buried in Star Realms right now as well. Amazing. That's awesome. Yeah. I love yeah, it. A happy cool. birthday swarm. Thank yeah. you. Happy birthday. This is kind of like the, you know. We're all 30-somethings right now, but not yep. for long. <laughs> not long. And then I'm going to the MA40 Plus division on the disc golf circuit. Let's go. Yeah, yeah, that's the other important thing to know about Paul. Currently the number one tag holder in that's our St. Right. Louis disc golf slash board game yep. group. So congratulations to 30-foot putt to win that uh, number one tag. So that's be a big moment, too. Yeah. Well, what do you guys say we jump into our discussion of this game and and the way we typically start out is everybody give a little rating and capsule thoughts of the game um paul as the guest and most biased member here you said you're a member but we all know you're actually the president i know i didn't want to go i didn't yeah we hadn't held elections yet this year and i didn't want to (laughs) like presume but i figured i was president yeah you're the president so yeah uh it would i think it would make sense for the president to start off this meeting Okay, well, I would like to call the meeting to order, and I'll remind you about Baron Park. Um, I was just going to check when last I did my top 100. I'm confident this is in my top 20, but I'll come back and let you know in a minute. Uh, Let me start with my rating. This is, on the BGG scale, a 10 out of 10 for me. I double-checked BGG. That's what it's rated. And I, I think the wording there is like, outstanding game will always enjoy playing, and that is absolutely true. Um, In the realm of polyomino games crowded with uva rosenberg titles and phil walker harding titles for that for that matter uh this is still my favorite it does so many good things right um and i'm just gonna say baron Mm. park weird name but elegantly tricky little puzzle game love this thing fantastic had to be awesome i'm so glad it's a 10 out of 10 for you paul that makes me really excited jake you go next i'm gonna give baron park a 7.5 7.5 out of 10. I think it's a great game. Um, and, you know, bit notwithstanding that every game is a 7 for me. I think, <laughs> <laughs> I think that this game really fits right into that, where it's a game that is a joy to play. I think it's simple and accessible. Um, but for me, maybe some of the games I've played, primarily playing, or I should say, exclusively playing online and primarily playing asynchronously. So take that with a grain of salt. Um, that that's how I'm coming to this conclusion is that it felt like many of the games sort of were decided 
relatively early on, leading to an end game that doesn't feel like as exciting as I might prefer. Um, so that's sort of the caveat that keeps it out of the you know elite, amazing game category for me, but still a great game, very fun. Brendan, over to you. Okay, so I think Baron Pike Park is delightful and it's fun. And I think it's really interesting because the tile placement puzzle is so inexorably linked to the timing considerations of when to take tiles. And the design of Baron Park is so much coming from the perspective of trying to solve the problem of how do you randomize tiles that are all shaped in different shapes. You can't just put them in a deck and draw them. It doesn't work. So you get these icons on the board that you then cover up, which then let you select different tiles. Brilliant, amazing piece of design. I love the multiple player boards, the bear statue. Excellent. But I suffer from a few of the same considerations of Jake, where I feel like runaway leader problems can happen, though we're talking about a 25, 30 minute game. So at the end of the day, Baron Park is a solid eight out of 10 for me. I think this is a lovely game. It's a wonderful game, and I would be happy to play it anytime. But there's things about the decision space that leave me wishing that I had a little bit more fuzziness in the tiling puzzle, and maybe that the game didn't emphasize timing considerations with when to take an offbeat to block someone in the tile market quite as much. I think that's where this game really lives. And I want it to live a little bit more on my board. Well, I'd like to thank you guys, first of all, for concluding the elections. I am officially now the president. And uh, in my eyes, you have a little work to do to kind of make up and earn your space here in the Phil Walker Harding Club. But um, that's good. It's a good game. We're going to get into a lot of what you talked about there. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and we should say it's a 10 for Paul, a 7.5 for me and an 8 for Brendan. So that's a recommendation from all of us. Um, we yeah, already mentioned game. that uh, this is a 2017 game designed by Phil Walker Harding. It was published by Lookout Games. Let's jump into Brendan's rules overview, and then we'll be back on the other side to deep dive what we were talking about with the decision space and the decisions in this game. Baron Park is a polyomino tile placement game in which players build a bear park, taking turns adding polyomino tiles depicting different enclosures and attractions to their 4x4 square park boards in pursuit of placing tiles efficiently while expanding their park by adding up to three new boards and trying to meet specified objectives along the way. Each turn in Baron Park is simple. Players select one tile in their supply and place it adjacent to any tile they've previously placed in their park. Park boards depict four types of symbols and each show two green wheelbarrows, two white cement trucks, and one orange excavator, and finally one construction crew. When a player covers up one of these symbols on their board, they take a corresponding action. For example, for each of the three vehicle types, they take tiles from a corresponding display of tiles, with each subsequent vehicle type providing access to larger tiles and typically more points. Larger tiles also are typically a better way to more efficiently allow the player to fill in their boards, but placed in a strange manner or wrongly may slow their progress towards objectives or reduce a player's overall tiling efficiency. Tiles are limited in nature, and some shapes only come in a single tile. There are real timing considerations with regards to when to take certain tiles. Construction crews allow players to add new player boards adjacent to their starting board or other boards they've previously placed, expanding their park. Finally, each board shows one pit. Pits cannot be covered up, ever by any tile. Well, not ever. Instead, players must build around them, and once they fully fill that, that specific park board, covering up all the other spaces on the board, they take the most valuable bear statue tile still remaining in a shared display, and these range in value from 16 points all the way down to two, and plop it into the location of that pit, completing the board. What tension Baron Park has comes from players pursuing multiple overlaid and juxtaposed objectives simultaneously. In a given turn, they may want on a place so they can select a specific tile, fill in a board to access a more valuable bear token, or place a smaller tile to complete an objective. Playing Baron Park well means paying attention to each player's progress at the table. A game ends when one player has acquired and filled in four park boards. Then each other player gets one additional turn, at which point the player with the most points is crowned the victor. And we're back. Thank you, Brendan, as always, for taking the time to record that and hopefully it gives people listening some idea of how to play this game. It is available to play on Board Game Arena, making it very accessible if you want to jump over there and give it a try. Um, but what do you guys say we jump right into 
the decision space and start out by sort of trying our best to characterize uh, the type of decision space in this game. I think I'm, I'm just going to jump out. Let's get this out of the way. Like most polyomino games, it's a waning decision space game, right? Like the as you fill up your boards, it, you are reducing the number of decisions you have in pursuing these different objectives and in getting certain tiles. But but there is the wrinkle of adding these other player boards and the timing of when you add them basically balloons the decision space back yes. up three times over the course of play. And the fact that you have agency as a player over when that happens is one of the most interesting things of the, of the game. For me. Totally. I will agree that, well, you're right. You're, as your board fills in, you have less and less places to go. Um, the one thing that you didn't mention is as you add these player boards, you get an additional symbol, which allows you to get an additional tile type, which is the, you know, pentomino five guys, I believe. And those have the highest point values on them, but we'll, you know, so again, the timing of when that happens does expand kind of what you need to do. I'm not sure I would call it waxing or waning just in so far as like when you take your turn and take the four point tile that I needed and it changes my point scheme considerations where it's like, well, I had planned to finish this board in a certain pattern with these moves, but that's not there anymore. And now I'm going to pivot a little bit. So I, yeah. you know, that's not, it's neither really waxing nor waning, but it is a little more tactical than just static, you know? Yeah. I mean, interestingly enough, I think the hallmark is for a waning decision space game is at the end of the game, right? You're coming down to have no decisions left. And, and that's essentially the case here. If you look at the whole arc of the game as a whole, so I can definitely see where you're coming from, but I also think that there's a really strong argument for considering this to be a dynamic game, um, a dynamic decision space game. And I think the key element there um, is that you have different beats for when that decision space opens up and closes, right? Yeah. Uh, I could see also an argument for calling it getting very in the weeds, but like a punctuated waning decision space. That's what we would call a game like the Castles of Burgundy, which is probably familiar to a lot of our listeners, where you're uh, basically playing out a board of tiles, and then it will refill, and you'll have a waning decision space all the way down again. And I think that kind of happens here, but it's so much more contingent upon the decisions you make of when to expand your board. Um, and then that's also contingent upon the path made available to you by the decisions your opponents are making. Yeah. I love too that given the the different plays of this game will have completely different shapes of decision spaces too, to that nature, right? Because Jake, you and I were playing a game and you did this interesting strategy where you basically covered up all your connection workers, like construction workers, I should say, which are the images you have to cover up to get new boards. And you had all four boards out within like five or six turns mm. so, and, and you laid them all in this straight line. So your decision space then looks really different than, and you beat me in that game, which really pisses me off because there's no way you should have won that game. Uh, but it looks really different than the sort of typical game where you mostly fill in one board, get a second one, finish that first board so you can get one of the juicy bear statues plop it in there for a bunch of points. And then you focus on this next little puzzle of one board. You add a third one, you finish that one. And it's a little more plotting, I guess, in nature. But the game gives you the agency to sort of spread your wings if you want to yeah. fly. And there's a lot of there's a lot of different parts of what makes the decision space large or small at times, because obviously um, you have to place your tiles adjacent to existing tiles. And so the more tiles you have down, that expands the locations you can play in. So in that sense, it waxes for a long time. You know, it has that crescendo yeah. early. But sure. on the other hand, you start out with one green tile. And if you don't cover a symbol on your first turn, which don't do that, then you have a very bad second turn. And typically for the first 10%, maybe even, I don't know, 15, 20% of the game, you only have one tile in hand. And that you won't be able to expand that part of the decision space until you cover two symbols at once, you know, and then but then towards the middle of the game, you've got you've got one of the larger value um, houses that you need to try to get down. And so I think the point values guide your decision space. They, they funnel it down on each turn and let you know what's a smart thing to be doing, even though the space itself can be pretty big in the middle of the game. Yeah, do you think so? I feel like. I was just gonna say, like, I, I 
think overall, like overwhelmingly, I feel like the decision space in this game, uh, you know, in this set without value, I think it's actually one of the big strengths of the game is that it's pretty reined in. Like compared to a lot of the games we cover on the podcast, you know, you're picking between, you know, at most generally like two to three different tiles that you could reasonably place and in like two to three different locations. So just talking about like the sheer number of uh, choices that you're actually considering on a given turn, I think I would consider it on the smaller end of Mm -hmm. just like a decision space size. Yeah. But I do think interestingly to Paul's point, I don't, I didn't come into this discussion. I didn't do my sort of review at the start thinking about the fact that it is so much a player agency driven decision space. You can end up in a play of this game where you're always just sort of like, okay, I do this, I do this, I do this. And you're sort of railroaded like down a subway path. Mm -hmm. And, or you can play it and sort of have a bunch of different options really build wide and then fit the puzzle together. And I think that in that sense, it can be, I, it can feel like almost like solving the Zool puzzle mm-hmm. every turn if if you have that large of a puzzle. Yeah, but it's still small. I'm with you, Jake. Well, Jake's like doing the groan test over here. <laughs> Here's what I'll say about it that I think is where this game is so beautiful for me as a design is that it you know we talked about it being kind of family weight, beginner weight, um, and it really is. It's that Phil Walker Harding like perfect level of ease of play where it's like. How do I get this? Literally cover the thing. Mm-hmm. That that part of how you execute a turn, turn flow is so clean. But the depth of the game is the sequencing down turns. It's like you can predict almost everything you're going to play. I'm going to cover this symbol, get that tile, use it to cover this, do that. This is how it's going to pixel in. So you can choose to put yourself on rails, you know, and reevaluate each turn whether you want to veer off that. But especially when you play with um, the expert, quote unquote, expert variant, and you have these specific goals where I have to get three food streets in a straight row, and that that has big implications for how I lay my boards down. And that means I need to not forget that for like 10 turns in a row. Um, I think the times when you go off the rails are where kind of the game is probably won and lost and makes it really engaging. Like each turn, each turn is small, but it's tied to the big arc of the game for you. And making sure you play that well just keeps you really tied down, keeps you in it. I think what we're getting into here is sort of the clarity of the decision space. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think, you know, where fuzziness can be caused by, I don't know what tiles the other people are going to take before it gets back to my turn because the way the game is structured with, you can just visually see all the tiles that are going to be available to you. And you can very easily calculate out in your head, like, okay, I want to get this orange tile. You know, that's going to take me three moves to get it. Um, It creates like a sense of planning out, your turns that is only capable, I think, in like a really clear uh, decision space, which is also something that I think aids the this game as like a fantastic choice for like an entry weight family weight game. I love though that with some of so I think that the expert variant is the way I would play the game almost always. Maybe if I was playing with a really new gamer who wasn't familiar with a lot of rules, introducing the game without those objectives could be fine. But otherwise, I want to play with them always because the decision space is just so much more interesting when you're layering the the objectives into the considerations. And I think that because of what you said, Paul, a lot of them make you make decisions that go beyond a single board, right? You're trying to lay out the L-shaped river tiles mm-hmm. to connect three of them. So then you're having to think about what boards you want to add right. and what consequences those boards might have. Because if there's a pit blocking where you are going to you know, place your river tile, then you have to find a way to waste time until someone else is going to take a board, a new one gets flipped, you can take it. I think that the timing puzzle gets emphasized a lot by the objectives being introduced, and it becomes even more interesting in that sense. Totally true. The first time we played this game with uh, two other people in our decision space discord without the objectives we were, i think we were all kind of just like wait what you there's know, nothing here yeah yeah it's and then we've tried it again with the objectives and we're like okay n- like now i can understand the game here a little bit better and i think that speaks to just like how incredibly clear and i would say personally 
to me, too clear of a decision space the game can be without those the extra complexity of the objectives. Um, because, I mean, if you think about a very clear decision space, right, um, like listeners would probably think of something like tic-tac-toe. And this isn't tic-tac-toe, but that just highlights, uh, you know, what a super, super, super clear decision space can be where you can just like, I can actually just think through everything I'm going to do until the end of the game. Um, and I think that this in the beginner way of playing can feel like it is approaching that. To be fair though, we, okay. During that play, we felt that way at the end, but before that we were all saying, this is so fun. I can't wait to play again because (laughs) the tactile joy of playing this game is really delightful. The fact that the green tiles are all a little bit smaller and less efficient, the animal house tiles are all uh, tetrominoes, and then the orange excavator unlock tiles are all the pentominoes. I think the game has a really good rhythm and flow to it. And there's few games that we, we've primarily, primarily, you and I, Jake, played this online. And there's few games that I would say have a tactile joy online. And somehow mm. Baron Park manages to do it. Like the puzzle... I don't get it. I it's it unlocks the pentomino polyomino joy for me in the way that like playing patchwork physically does. And I think a lot of that is because of the way that the it this game Phil Walker Harding was clearly so careful to think about what's fun about polyominoes and let you make decisions that let you do it, right? The bear statue is the primary example of that, but I think there's even more going on in the tile design that isn't obvious that leads to interesting things where I get to fill in holes. And I think it's partially the small play space. It's covering stuff up. I don't know. It's kind of magic, Mm -hmm. I think. I think the tile placement of this game is kind of magical. Yeah, this is also, I think, the first time that Phil Walker Harding uh, uses this cover up and get mechanism where you cover the thing and get it. And he repeated this in Gingerbread House, which is not as good, um, in my opinion. And then in Llama Land kind of put those two together in a really mm. nice way. And it's it's just so satisfying to, as you said earlier, Brennan, like tie the placement to the draft in such a simple way. Um, it's just, it's fabulous. And then the, it very much scratches the itch of like, I want to pack things in. I need to get it to fit efficiently, um, which is what a game like Second Chance does, except this has, you know, other ideas in it. That is good for games to have. Um, it's just it's so, so clean, guys. I just you, I can't stop saying that this is like Phil Walker Harding doing it the best he does it. Do you like this more than Llama Land, Paul? Um, I, I have played Llama Land more recently and liked Llama Land more in that play. It the it just felt different in a way that was really exciting. It, that's a bigger design, too. Um, but I think Baron Park is still my favorite. I just think that the puzzle of doing it um, in a way, like what Jake's saying, like I think it's straightforward in a way that I like a lot. You know, mm. I like understanding point schemes very clearly. And it doesn't have the like mystery payout of an engine build that you don't know where it's going exactly, you know? And I, I appreciate that. And I, and I will say Jake's... that I did look it up. This was my number nine game of all time. Nice. Just ahead of Gizmos by Phil Walker Harding. <laughs> I will say, I think it, this kind of goes back to my previous point and one you just made, Paul, is I think the, the board itself, the puzzling is straightforward. But what's not straightforward is the consequences of what you're doing when you're doing them, right? Because of the way the bear statues come out, because of what other players are doing and that limited pool of resources. So if the game has really... Uh, sheer clarity on your player board where it doesn't necessarily is it the consequences of those actions because of the opportunity cost of not doing something else right yep. by filling in my first board i don't necessarily know what tiles i might not be able to get access to because it depends on what you two might do after me and if i take a downbeat to cover up an orange excavator so i can get that perfect uh polyomino uh pentomino tile I don't know, is is one bear statue going to get taken and I just lose two points for that downbeat? Mm-hmm. Or do two bear statues get taken and all of a sudden I'm costing myself even more points? Uh, so I, I think sometimes to some people I could see how that would feel like, oh, that's half dozen of one thing, six of the other, depending on I'm getting points on the bigger tile. I'm losing it on the bear statue, whatever. But I don't think that's always how it plays out. Yeah, I, I have a, just a couple other points on the clarity. So first is... 
I think a lot of my plays have been at two players, and this is definitely yeah. going to feel the clearest at lower player counts because a lot of time in the two player game, I can I played a lot with Brendan, and I can look at his board and see like, okay, he just won't be able to fill one of his boards on the next turn because he doesn't have the right tile or he has too many spots for it. So you know, I don't have to push the tempo in that direction now. I can do. I'm free to do a setup play to get a better tile now, where if you have three or four people playing, there's just more consideration there and and more uncertainty around what tiles are going to be available to you in general. Um, So I do think just playing it at more players is probably, I haven't done that as much, but I think that is something that would address some of that kind of issue that I have with the game. Um, but the other thing is, and this is just a question for you, Paul, because I think you've likely played this a lot more than me, was I was noticing just kind of an interesting thing in how the game was playing out where I felt like the decision space was bigger and more interesting in games where I wasn't doing particularly well. Like hmm. it felt like hmm. it felt like in the games where I was there were quite a few games, especially at two players, but this also happened at higher player counts where, I was ahead the whole way through. Um, And it really felt like just every play just linked perfectly into the next, which is a satisfying thing, but it's not really great from like a decision space perspective. It felt like Mm. I always had a super obvious play the whole time through. And I get the end and it's like, wow, that just worked out great. Um, Whereas it feels like once, okay, now I'm like behind on these, this objective and I'm behind on, the bare statues of filling up areas. Now I have choices to make. So I was just curious if either of you guys experienced something similar in your plays of this game. I would just say that I don't necessarily have a good sense as I play of who is winning. I feel like I'm, you know, I, for the for the most part, there's a lot of race elements, and I'm kind of working on my own race. Um, try, as you said, like you described, the winning experience is a a, a feeling of pretty much peak efficiency. You know, it's like I'm doing, but that feels great to me. I can't imagine being a Jake Friedman that complains about having a a fully (laughs) efficient, gorgeous sequence of moves. I mean, you're trying to go to fisticuffs or something to have a great game. But, uh, you know, I, yeah, I think there are times where you go like the experience that I have each time and like kind of my catchphrase when I play this game is like, oh, no, mistakes have been made, you know, where it's mm, like I lost yep. sight of something and I put this down. And so the the chunk of green tiles, tiles I was planning on being connected are now disconnected and I have to pivot. And I think that's fun. You know, I think the game doesn't get in your way a big a big lot, um, but it lets you kind of it's it's I think the puzzle is big enough. As simple as it is, it's deep enough, far enough down the train tracks that you're going to lose sight of something and it's going to ask you to try again. And I, I like that, you know, mm-hmm. I like and I, I don't think I've ever, you know, again, I don't I don't play Baron Park with the Jake Friedman's of the worlds. OK, the, the perfect players. All right. But um, I feel like everybody I play this game with messes it up at some point and is like, oh, no, I should have done this other thing. Um, and that might just partly be that. I mostly play with like students who haven't played before and you know, it's just working for us. Um, at some point, maybe we'll chat about the, uh, the expansion. But one thing I do want to mention before we hear Brennan's answer is just that this game is a record holder for the literal worst insert of all time. If it could be called an insert. Um, and I don't know if they still even ship that, but I just thought it would, it would be worth mentioning. Um, and I've I've put it out to look out spiel multiple times in Mayfair to just post a picture of how someone is supposed to use that insert, what it's designed to how it's supposed to function. That would be really good because it's the record holder for literal worst. <laughs> Do you just pile everything in the box, Paul? Uh, it's a great question. And I know that our listeners will not be able to see this, but I will just show you one of my first inserts that I made with, um, you know, chipboard or whatever this is called is like that. And it's got like a little tray and things come out. The expansion does not fit in that box, but uh, yeah, made, made, made my was, own insert. That was lovely. Yeah, I wish y'all could see it. Yep. Yeah. Beautiful. Okay. My response to, this, to what Jake just said, I, what I've learned is that this game is designed for tabletop play. Yeah. Obviously. I was going to say the say same that. thing. 
But clearly what's happening here is Jake and I have primarily played it online where we get to have an experience that was not designed to the base game. There's no score tracker, right? Mm-hmm. On In the base game, you're not moving a little bear token around a track that shows you exactly who has 46 points and who has 36 points. So at the table, you just don't know. And it's left unclear. It's left fuzzy. So you don't have that feedback. And I think that moving online, where we're primarily playing on Board Game Arena, we're hypersensitive to that score tracker in a way that you're not experiencing oh. in tabletop play, right? So Jake's like, oh, I'm just winning the whole time through. Where at the table, you just have no sense of that. You just be like, I'm playing a really good game oh my gosh, I won this game playing so well the whole time. Whereas Jake's saying, oh my gosh, I'm a runaway leader. What the heck? Did no one else have a comeback opportunity? Yeah, or the other person or somebody else at the table is a runaway leader. I think it was more... Not that I'm oh, okay. su- such a genius. Sure. I don't know. But, uh, <laughs> I, like the, I, like the other, I liked how we were just roasting Jake. <laughs> <I feel> like... <laughs> He's the number one tag holder for the Baron Park. So there's just a running yeah. score on BGA. It just says, yes. this is your current score. Yep. And you could read it off the boards, but it's there. And I would say the experience yeah. playing there is that the person who gets out to an early lead is very difficult to catch. There's no inherent yeah. catch-up mechanism in this game. No. And I think that's a much bigger problem when you're aware of everybody's score than it would be sitting at the table and two were you guys playing asynchronously for the most part because i think this game asynchronously is gonna be and maybe most games but this one especially like the the thing i was describing of having to hold on to your strategy while other people Mm -hmm. take their turns and it comes back to you in real time is a really different experience from checking back into the game and spending what feels like enough time reminding yourself of what's going on and making a clean decision in the moment that's going to be a really different experience. Whereas keeping a pace of play and letting mm-hmm. the game flow happen on this, you know, around the table is going to, is going to change the way that it feels to be a player in the game. Yeah. I'm really yeah. glad we touched on this because I think that those two points that y'all both made are absolutely right. Um, and I think that also speaks a lot to what my biggest issue of this game that I keep going back to is like how clear the decision space feels is that like when you're playing this asynchronously, like as you point out, Paul, it's like figure outable. Like yeah. I can spend five minutes if I need to, and I can like yeah. always figure out the best move. And if I'm, you know, taking a 15 minute break from work and taking turns on my board game arena, async games, I have no problem doing that, but I would never spend five right. minutes on a turn of this game. If I was sitting at a table with you and Brendan. Yeah. Yeah, we don't normally do the, start to the conversation this way, but I'm really curious to know what each of your favorite mechanism in terms of decisions are in this game. Mm. I, I think it just has to be. Well, it's it's just the way that the tile placement is tied to the to the grabbing of stuff, because yeah, it, it's because it, it feeds directly into the tile draft and like pushing your decisions down, trying to see further and further into what you need and what the shape's going to look like. Everything about visualizing the future of your game comes from that. Um, so that for sure is, I think, the most beautiful little thing in there. Yeah, I, I don't know that I have a great answer. I think that is the key uh, differentiating mechanic in the game. Um, but I would say I do like the polyomino aspect in this game where the big, valuable five square tiles or whatever are one of a kind. Um, mm-hmm. So like... I like that that forces you uh, to, as you're building out, I always like games a lot where it, I feel like the design is asking you to like make a bet. And I think this does that by asking you to like build towards one of those tiles that you hope you're going to be able to get um, because it fits with the tiles you've previously placed and or hopefully and the objective as well. Um, so I, I like that aspect of it. Yeah, I think for me, the more I've played this game, the more I've really enjoyed the multiple board system and having agency over when your boards expand. I feel like my most interesting decisions come in terms of that now and looking forwards and sort of saying, okay, if I take this board, first of all, where am I going to put it? And how does that relate to all the other decisions I want to make? Right? Like, I think decisions become really interesting when you're, there's some decisions where it's just like, I'm taking this key and I'm putting it into this lock and then I'm going to unlock it and proceed to the next decision. And I think here the boards function as like, you're looking for the right lock for the keys that you have in a way, right? Like, it's not like I'm just going from, I have a key, I'm going to put it in this lock that I know is before me. It's like, which path do I want to take? And I think that that combination becomes really interesting. And then 
beyond that, not just what board, but where do I want to put it, I think is really interesting and fun. You can have a, an ultimate board shape that's a rectangle. You could have an ultimate board shape that's an L. You have an ultimate board shape that's a square. And I like that you ha- can have a completely different play space than the people sitting to the left or the right right of you yeah if you want to be mad you can make a, a long rectangle of four in a row like jake does yeah or you can make a square you know like and and that's cool and not all you won't do the same thing in all games yeah. and you won't always appreciate why unless you look back and i think that that's just a really lovely thing about phil walker harding games. yeah well I, I do love that um that the shape of my overall bear park feels different each game and i just like you know not even it doesn't even matter if I was shooting for something or not, but just having an appreciation of like, oh, this time I made a Z. You know that? I just, I like that at the end. Um, and one of the things that you talked about placing those extra pieces, some of the objectives really lean on that. Like there's some that want you yeah. to complete two boards at the same time. It's like you you have to play around that for so many turns to make it happen. And then it gives you this big reward of serotonin because you get like two bear statues and an you know achievement or the one that wants you to cover two orange symbols at once. And then that means that when you place a board, you want an orange symbol that's kind of on the you know edge of that board near to an orange symbol on the edge of another board, and then get the right tile that can do it. Um, that's really fun. But then, of course, it also gives you two big orange pieces, which have are going to take up a lot of space and maybe create some real odd spaces you have to fill, but they're going to give you a lot of points. And so it's as I said before, it's pretty clearly telling you what, what you ought to try to do, but there's still an interesting puzzle and result in trying to achieve it. I think the objectives is worthy of a little bit further discussion as well, because there are definitely some here that I like more than others. Absolutely. And I, and I think that um, the ones specifically that are just around collecting specific bear types, so there's yep. four different types of bears in the game, polar bears, goby bears, koalas, and pandas. Um, and there are one objective associated with each that just tells you to get three tiles. And I think that is just, A, a lot less interesting. And I think it actually exacerbates the runaway leader problem that can exist in this game, especially online. Um, because it, there's no uh, working towards those goals does not inhibit you from working towards another goal, right? There's no right. trade-off there. Yeah. Whereas if you have some of these other ones that are like how you construct your board in a different way, um, you know, if one of them is asking you to create a river of three segments and one of them is asking you to create a road of three segments, like you're having to decide which type of tile to go for when you're getting new green tiles. And if one player at the table is going for one of them, that might afford you the opportunity to strategically choose a different objective to try and get first. Yeah. Um, so yeah, what, what do you guys think about those? I think it's it is almost to the point where I don't play with those achievement tiles because they are so uninteresting. And the way that it isn't tied to the placement, like... I just described that my favorite thing is the connection between the placement and the drafting. And this is something that is just on the drafting. And so it, you know, especially in a two player game, I think there's, uh, there's maybe six, um, total tiles for each type. And that means that if I take four, I can deny you. Mm -hmm. And that's pretty obviously what I need to do each time. Um, and that's just not, it's not that cool. I do like the way that when you play with those, maybe in a four player game, it's a little better. The, um, you know, the stack of houses, the easy ones to get will kind of disappear. And then you're like, Oh, but I could still get it. If I go get a five, you know, I do like that little workaround, but overall it's significantly less interesting than, you know, the ones I described earlier are the ones that want you to have six green tiles next to each other because they often accentuate a part of the game that you're not usually going to pay attention to. And I, mm-hmm. I really like when it games expand in that direction. I do think that these force early competition for the houses in an interesting way, but like you two said, it's sort of the, once it's done, like once mm-hmm. the houses are claimed, the air kind of gets let out of that part of the game in a frustrating way. I think it forces different play patterns in a way that feels good to be playing, but doesn't, lead to interesting decisions like i like that when you're playing with a polar bear game someone's gonna have to figure out how to fit that dumb cross on their board uh, right 
And I like that when I'm playing with gobies, which I don't know why Jake said goby <laughs> they bear. They are like, real, baby. This is rare. They're real things. <laughs> it caught me off guard. It caught me off guard. Well, it is worth mentioning that koala bears are not bears, right? And what's it? And panda bears are not bears. Is that true? That's it. I'm bumping my rating down. I think okay, it's out of ten. Oh. Literally unplayable. Okay, I move to disband, uh, disbar this man from membership in the club. <laughs> is there a second? Yeah. Action, action uh, approved. <laughs> okay, let's get back on the achievements. The, I think if the animal ones are a little boring and tame, I think mm-hmm. the spatial ones are amazing. The one that wants you to make three, a long river, so you have to connect three of the L-shaped river tiles together. You're mm-hmm. having to really think about the cost of doing this and watch how quickly other players are doing it. Because you're potentially decimating your whole board you're planning everything you do around it and the same is true for the one where you want six green areas touching you're from the very first tile you place if you're going to be your most efficient on turn one you're placing a green tile so you want all six of your green tiles to be touching that first tile you place and that really changes the decision space yeah love it very three hard. orange ones touching very don't like hard it. oh that's brutal so hard yeah i just throw I my like game in the dumpster every time yeah yeah yeah, I bet you do. <laughs> oh, the double bear statue, like Paul said, I, I think that one's really interesting because that's another one too, where it's sort of like this is an objective that I should be going for, but I can't, I can't waste my time doing it, and it's forcing you to think about the timing considerations of this game, which I think the best Phil Walker Harding games do, like Emotep, a game that Jake and I both really love, and Paul, I know you quite enjoy, is yeah. all about this exact same type of decisions of when is it the right time to do X. And what is the cost in terms of timing of doing X? Um, and I think that the twice is nice getting two bear statues at once. Mm-hmm. Getting that too early is too expensive from a timing consideration. You don't want it too early. You want to be one turn ahead of everyone else's ability to do it. And that's the game, being one turn ahead of everyone yeah. else. And on- the, the one of completing two at once, it's it's saying, hey, I know you could finish your board right now and get a nice fat bear statue. Could you just wait? If you just wait a little longer, maybe somebody will get one, but then I'll give you two and I'll give you extra points. And that's really engaging. Yeah. Yeah. I, I like that one a lot because totally. the, the inherent trade off there is so obvious of the finishing versus waiting. And it, it, you know, it seems like there's some thought to that as that one awards 10 points for first, which is more than some of the other tiles. The, the other experience I've had with some of these achievements is just that like, it sounds easier than they are to Mm -hmm. achieve, which is nice. Like, especially the long food street and the long river one. You're just like, how easy is it to just like put three interlocking tiles together? I have all these boards to play with. And then to your point about mistakes were made halfway through the game, you're like, well, that's no longer achievable by me. Nice job. (laughs) I put a pit right there or I did, you know, I've used my, put my boards in the wrong spot and I, you know, it's now it's over. That moment is is past for me. I'll have to figure out how to do this some other way. Yeah. The one with three food stalls in a row is so interesting to me. Because it, to, typically, yeah. you're going to do that on the edge of right. one of your, on your boards, right? You're not going to do that in the middle because it's too hard to fill it in otherwise. So it's really saying, okay, make your play space a three by three functionally for the rest of decisions that you're making. And then I'll give you this reward this reward because it's not a hard decision to say like okay these three go in a row but it makes the other part of the puzzle hard and that's what good achievement design does right it doesn't just shift your decisions Mm -hmm. in pursuing it it shifts everything else you might do so that one's a huge win for me i also like the one where you have to do one of each animal house uh because it just forces you to make decisions you wouldn't otherwise make which we've already talked about and it spreads things out oh the mechanic too of getting it first and then revealing a lower value card really great I love it here so much more mm. than Jai Per. It's just I've like a it's, question. it's wonderful. Paul, you're like a math guy, right? That's true. So with the five square tiles, the what what do we call those? Pentominoes. Pentominoes. Yes, sir. Are pentominoes. these pentominoes like all the pentomino shapes that there could be? Or are there or are these like specifically curated pentominoes to create the best possible play experience? Jake, I'd like to commend you. That, that, that is a profoundly beautiful mathematical question, and it is one that humans have wondered about for years and years, and I've taught this <laughs> for years and years. That's all of them, baby. That's okay. it. There are 12, I believe, and we got them all in there. Okay. Yeah. Yep. I was just curious about that. And yeah, so... And I, and I really love that, because in, in um, Llama Land, 
all of the tiles are pentominoes, but they're all the same five pentominoes. So he, mm-hmm. again, like as you said, he sort of had a curated selection, um, but here he used all 12. And when you can kind of, uh, I, I for a while did mathematical art and a lot of my art that I did was connected to like, how big is this set of possibilities? How can you show them all? How do they connect and relate? And anytime you can use like the full set in a in a game, it enhances the clarity and symmetry of the design in a really nice way where it's like, mm-hmm. ah, everything's right there. That just is a nice way to answer the question. This is the equivalent of, yeah. J- or Paul, you were saying everything's so clean right. in this game. This is a- aesthetic cleanliness using the full polyomino set. And he almost right. does it with the Tetronomos too. The four for the animal houses. He leaves out the, the Tetris piece everyone loves. For and sure. I think that that's like a good decision because it makes it more interesting. With the Tetronimos, then there is still curating going on, though. It's yeah. not like he right. threw it all in because he's curated which are going to be most difficult to use by slapping the eight points on those. And the ones that are more Correct. easy and intuitive have fewer points. I think that's really nice, too. And it does in play. Like, I think he's got it right yeah. Um, yeah. by and large, where it feels like. Yeah, I can take this most, the highest scoring one, and I probably want to take that if I can, but it's going to take more work to incorporate that into my plans in an efficient way. Yeah. Maybe and with I, the exception of the koala one, that's the like hook. The or not a hook. The U turn. Oh, the U. Yeah. yeah the yeah. U turn's oh, pretty like easy. I think you just slap that on a pit, and that's pretty nice. Sure. Totally. Yeah, I do too. It's I like the a W. Stepper. The W for sure. With pandas on it. Um, and I, I nice. do think most of yep. the time I'm grabbing one of the highest valued fives remaining. You know, um, that's a pretty clear place. But then you still it's gonna it's gonna you got to figure out how to put it down. And I find that at, a, at the end of the game, I've left a couple of animal houses that I couldn't mm-hmm. get down, and that's points I'm missing when you know at the point later in the game where I had three tiles in my hand, like I put down a green one when I really needed to put down whatever animal house that it just wasn't working at that point. I've done that too, Paul. And it makes me think that the more I play this game, the more I think that there are decisions yeah. at times where you cover up a cement truck, the the symbol that lets you take one of those animal houses and the right decision yep. is actually to snipe wheelbarrow tiles. It's to deny people yeah. the three L shape or the three long shape. And it's because there's just moments where everyone's boards have co- coalesced that hurting people in terms of the exact tile they need is going to help me more. If it doesn't matter, if it's, I can hold a hand of tiles and play the denial game. Um, and I'm not quite there, but I think that that play pattern will emerge. And that's really interesting. Yeah. I do. I do like the rule and I typically forget to explain it when I teach the rules that when you get, when you draft tiles, you can draft lesser tiles. And I yes. do think yep. that there are times I've passed up on like a two point animal house to take one of those three food streets or one of the rivers or whatever. And I, I do really like that. That's interesting. I don't know that I'm with you guys yet on that being a great idea. Like, I feel like for me when I'm playing this game and what I think makes it so nice and intuitive to play is because the heuristics are like really clear, right? Like when you can take a tile, you should probably take the most valuable tile available. When you place a tile, you should probably place the tile that covers up the most space in in an efficient way, um, because that's going to get you to filling out your boards, completing objectives faster. Um, and then the game is in like, okay, so when you know when do we make concessions to those very basic mm-hmm. on their face ideas and move more towards that. But I don't know that I've gotten, I don't think I've ever in my plays and not that many may play this like 10 times come to a turn and thought I'm not going to take a valuable tile when I could take one that isn't awarding points. And I think part of that's just because there's so many, it's pretty difficult to get to a point where you're cutting somebody off of getting a green one they would need. Sure. I definitely think that it's a heuristic exception, but I think that I'm remarking on the fact that I think that they do exist, which is more interesting to me than if it was never the case. Yeah. And I, at first I thought it was never the case. And now I think that there's room, especially because of chi- of achievements for that to come into place sometimes. What happens in this game when you start your turn with no tiles? It sucks. What happens? Yeah. It, you, you take a green tile. That's your turn. That's what I figured it was. Yeah. So I mean, yeah. I've never been in that situation either. Cause that's like another heuristic, right? If you have one tile, you should always make sure you're claiming at least one other tile. Yeah. 
And I think yeah. that, I mean, it's extremely rare that you don't cover a symbol. I yeah, think. I can't imagine yeah. a scenario where, like, your best move would be to complete a turn that ends up with you having zero tiles. Yeah, yeah. What do you all think about the design of the boards themselves? How you always have two green wheel- wheelbarrows, two cement trucks, one orange excavator, one pit, and one construction crew. That's another example of this elegant cleanness totally. of the game. Yeah. And they feel really balanced. I've never noticed a board and sort of said, oh, this board seems really good. Right. Um, you, Jake, you're saying, mm, what? T- talk to me. I think, like, I think actually they can be pretty swingy um, just in the way they come out based on what you're trying to already accomplish with your board. But sometimes the way the board lays out is early in the game when you're placing that first tile. I think being able to access the orange construction thing early on is pretty important. And just based on the two that's available to you, which which might change right before your turn, uh, that may or may not be possible. And I think like it's a pretty big advantage in a game that otherwise has no randomness, essentially, to where if you can grab a board that just happens to fit in well with what you're trying to do so you can delay i think uh, yeah exactly you could you could wait um and and sort of i don't think that there's any that are inherently better but there are some that are situationally better right right i just mean like if some some of the where those icons are are different on each board yeah um and if you get a board that has like the orange tile close to the left side and that's where right where you're needing to expand to that could yeah. be like really nice. I think that you're right that a lo- that the boards are. Um, I, I like the way that the boards, as you said, they have a certain number of green symbols. They have one of these symbols, and that keeps your that keeps your bear park balanced in a way. You know, that keeps everybody kind of restrained and close to each other. It's like I want to get an animal house every turn, but I I'm not going to be able to, and I still have to work inside of that. And I think the mechanism that I like the best in the way that those work is the pit because you know in a game that's so about packing to have one just one just one little space you need to not pack is such a good workaround and then of course putting the bear statue in there is such a satisfying way to actually accomplish the ultimate goal you had in the first place i wonder if this game got tested with multiple pits on some boards Mm -hmm. or, or on all boards because it is so interesting that there's just one. It shows such good restraint, yeah, right. which I think is another thing right. about Phil Walker Harding games is that his designs show restraint mm-hmm. in a really good way. He favors simplicity and cleanness over complexity. And this is one example where it's like, oh, this little bit, this one extra rule, it's going to be so totally. worth it. And he's right. It is so worth yeah. it. Yeah. I think another designer, you could very easily have these, you know, I, I could these boards would be messed up. right would have like okay well this yeah. one has like three greens and no right you know and only one white but i'm yeah. balancing out by like not having a pit or something sure. like that you yeah, know totally. like assigning you could very easily see that and i do think that would make it a probably a lesser design uh and also in, interestingly i think a decision that was made here that a lot of designers might make a different one um is that you can't rotate the boards right they all True. have to have the exact have the icon facing the same way, which is it's just an interesting choice. I think that would fix the problem of like potentially somebody getting a random benefit, which is actually, I think, really a, sort of an advantageous thing for like the first player because they're going to be the one most likely to be able to plan ahead and access that. Um, so I think that would actually kind of fix that in some ways. But aesthetically, it wouldn't look as good. And maybe, you know, there are some unforeseen problems there. But mm-hmm. I do agree in, in to your main point, though, that I think like a lot of the best designers, you can notice like what they've done successfully in like the restraint. And this is a great example of that, as opposed to like what an awesome like mechanism. Um, so I think like for people who like enjoy that super clean design, I think uh Reiner Knizia is another designer that's often kind of brought up for the same thing of like this game is best for like the rules it doesn't have or the mechanism it doesn't have mm-hmm. um that's like kind of a hallmark for PWH can I come back in the fan club now uh we'll 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 take a vote after the meeting we're going to give you kind of temporary membership for now okay okay um I will just bring up a point of comparison to silver and gold I don't know if you guys have played that but that's another Phil Walker Harding a flip and write game but again you have um, 
I think they're just one, two, three, or four sized polyominoes that you're Xing out on little cards. And so there, the cards are the boards and you get different cards, but the point values do change and the boards are less balanced. So there is kind of like, well, this board specializes in palm trees. And when you cover up, you do this kind of thing. Whereas this one has more X's, which give you speed. And I think it, it exemplifies that, you know, Phil Walker Harding, praise be, he finds these places in designs where it's like, this one can accommodate that. And still silver and gold flies by and feels, you know, as as simple and clean as this. Yeah, I'm a huge fan. That might be one of my favorite uh, flip and write slash roll and write style games. Yeah. What haven't we touched on? I feel well, like we're Can I bring up the expansion this. a little bit? I feel like it's... Oh, I know, we would love that. I know you that. guys haven't played it. So um, we have one expansion to Baron Park uh, so far, but I hope for more. And that is the Bad News Bears, um, which I thought was like an interesting choice. They kept Baron Park, the German, but then they just went with Bad News Bears. I yeah, I don't liked, love that. You know, they could have done Bear Park or whatever. But uh, Bad News Bears gives us three new modules um, one of them, I believe, is just new achievement tiles. And it's possible that some that I described earlier are e- expansion achievement tiles. So um, that I would say, that's something I'm always playing with. They're in the mix of ones I might pull. Um, the second is the monorail system. And this one is really interesting. I talked earlier about how I like expansion modules that access and modify parts of the game that weren't doing too much before. And uh, the way that this works is monorails will go on your green uh, green tiles and they'll have to be kind of three, up, like two apart. So you have one square of green, two in between, and then another green. And then if you do that, you're able to connect those with this cardboard monorail over the top, which is a bunch of points. Um, there are some tough little rules about that, which is that the monorail has to turn 90 degrees every time it goes. And uh, it can't make a loop. Um, And so that is a really difficult puzzle and one that you can very much lose sight of in a bad way. For for players of Baron Park who are good, um, it adds a big, big, you know, big addition to the decision space because there's like a ton more things you have to think about. Like, okay, well... I know I need to get this animal house down, but if I cover this space with other than green, like my monorail is fully not, it's done, 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 done. And I'm going to lose 20 points on it because if you stop your monorail, it will be a lot of points. How do you access the monorail tiles? I think that when you put down a tile, uh, put down a green tile, you can choose to add one of the bases to it. And if you if you can add a monorail, you do, and they're just they're just there. And again, they have de- decreasing points, like bear statues. Um, gotcha. it's, it, there might be a slight tweak on what I said there, but it's pretty much expected point values if you can keep making it happen, and you do want they're to free. keep making it happen. Yeah, I mean they're they're so yeah awesome. they're they're just there. It's like here's an additional thing that if you do, there's more points for it. And I I do think the only downside to it is that if you don't do it, you're going to lose. If, yeah. And, yeah. And, and you can set yourself up to just totally botch that because the rules are pretty restrictive. And I've lost games because I got 10 points on monorails and somebody got 35, you know? Wow. So, yeah. So we, we would call that like an overlaid objective, right? It's just another yeah. puzzle that you can work at as, you know, it's just another form of efficiency. You can totally. be efficient in all the same ways that you can be efficient in the base game of Baron Park. Yes. But at the same time, you could be achieving this other efficiency. Yeah. Uh, so I, I love that. I think, I think that... Jacob, you would really like balancing that against what feels like the obvious point values of other tiles. Mm-hmm. Because yeah. knowing, especially early on, when you have to stay next to your stuff, that you're going to try to cover a symbol with the tile, the only tile that's in your hand. But covering that symbol with the only tile in your hand is going to be one of the only like two spaces you're going to be able to extend your monorail. And so it's just you better keep your wits about you, young man. (laughs) That's what I say to you today as a 39 year old. (laughs) Uh, And then the the last module, um, and I can't quite remember the rules of it because I don't like it as much as the other two, is the grizzly bears. Uh, And they are size six tiles. 
Um, the way that you get a grizzly bear tile, and of course they have higher point values, I believe you have to ditch a an animal house and a green tile from your hand on your turn as a free action, and then you can claim one of the however many grizzly bear tiles. And I think there are 35 hexomino tiles, and those are not all present. So this is a curated Ooh. subset. Couldn't get there. Maybe You know, I'm going to give Phil all the credit and say, he said we need 35, and Lookout Spiel said too much cardboard. And they yeah. cut it down. Okay. It was the developer. Um, but, Drag Lookout Spiel. You exactly. heard Paul. Everyone exactly. should definitely... <laughs> um, but, you know, having a gigantic tile like that in the middle of your board... I can't remember what the point schemes are like, but they might be 12 points or more. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's good, but it also has huge costs in terms of what your puzzle is going to look like down the road. And also you're giving up two tiles to get it. So it, it's, you know, it's a lot. It's worth doing. When the three of us sit down, we'll play with everything in and we'll see how it goes. At Decision Spa Con. Ooh. Uh, Decision Spa Day. Ooh. This isn't an official announcement. It's just a dream. It's just, oh, yeah. it's just a pipe dream. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay. You can come into our Discord and we'll, we'll keep talking about it. I like that. Decision Spa. Con. It sounds it sounds pretty good. I, the monorail has me the most intrigued is I think the game really benefits. The things that I like most about the achievements are when they overlay a puzzle yeah. on top of the other decision. So more of that sounds great. Also, I want to touch on one more thing that we haven't mm. touched, touched on. The one by one tile being a porta potty. Like <laughs> it's just the best. It is. It is a porta potty tile. Not all of them, it's right? You can, no, I think they are. I think they're all toilets, and they say toilets in the rule book. The, the expansion does come with some. Um, they are toilets, but they look different. And oh, they're you cuter. know, there's like bears. They're like I don't know, bear toilets. Nice, um, but yeah, bear shaped toilets. They're poop. Love that. And there is something that happens at the end of the game too, where you're running, you know, like in some games you will run out of the one by one, you know, you'll run out of toilets and that is a problem for people and they can't, you know, they can't finish their boards and stuff. And yeah, I don't know if I like it or dislike it, but it does occur and it's a part of the game. Yeah. Huh? Well, let's jump into our final thoughts if that's okay with y'all. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I'll go first, which is say, I think one of my key takeaways from this episode was uh, it's it's always worth reminding, but just the difference in experience that we had playing this online and Paul that you've had playing on the table. Uh, when we're talking about games, you know, a lot of times on this podcast, we're primarily playing online. Brendan and I don't live in the same place, so that's just a much easier way to connect. It's also uh, a much more cost effective way to try out a bunch of games and cover them on this podcast. But there are definitely ways that that affects the play experience. So I think that's just something I want to keep trying to be more mindful of uh, and ensure too that we're not just playing asynchronously. We're doing at least a few live plays as well for the games we cover. Um, so that was really great bringing that perspective in. So, so glad that we had you on, Paul, and that you could bring that perspective as well. Yeah, you, you board game arena players don't even know that it has the worst insert of all time. And I encourage anybody listening that has not looked it up to find a picture of this online. Because if you imagine a rectangular Isle of Sky size box, okay, look out spiel. And just then, again, we, you've got gigantic square pieces, one diagonal cutting straight across the box. That's the first half. And then perpendicular to that, another diagonal coming out of the corner. That's the insert for these. What? Like I, I to this day, you know, I you play games sometimes, and you're like, this game's not good. I wonder what they were thinking. But you kind of can go, oh, I get it. You know, they thought this would be good. This is a decision that is um, indefensible and totally incomprehensible. And I, I apologize. I had to bring it back up again, but I did. I mean, when you said the word diagonal, yeah, that's that's just, like the red flag, red flag, red flag. Yeah. Yeah, ninety degree angle pieces. Yeah, it's, there's it's, no business. So you've yeah. got. Yeah, I don't. I should stop. Super, super tiny, super tiny aside. Before you get to your uh, final thoughts, Brendan, uh, I was, I was playing a BattleCon and a, a something that just defied all reason. I was like looking for the setup in the rule book on page twenty two. <laughs> no, it's yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. It's just like what? Aye, aye. <laughs> Oh, I found it. Yeah. Um, I think that for me, the biggest takeaway is just that the Baron Park for me has solidified that what I think Phil Walker Harding's 
design thesis is probably not one that itself. I don't know that he would identify this as himself, but he is so fascinated. And what his designs do so well is timing considerations, whether it's Imhotep's that's game all about timing and tempo or it's Sushi Go of the value of things shifting, depending on when you take them, that that game is about not taking the right things at the wrong time or the wrong things at the right time. And Baron Park is all about when you do what is good. Um, I think, and some people might be listening to this and say, that's just games, Brendan, but I don't think Mm -hmm. that's just games necessarily. And I think that the cleanliness that Phil Walker Harding designs into his games, uh, he focuses on these timing considerations to keep the puzzle simple, but interesting. And that's, that's a cool takeaway. How about you, Paul? Yeah, I'm, I'm just, thoughts? as you were speaking, I was gazing back at my Phil Walker Harding collection on the board, on my on my shelves here, and thinking about exactly what you're saying about timing. Even, you know, games like Archaeology, Cloud City, um, Summer Camp, he's pitting a race against other considerations. Or even, I don't know if you've played Dungeon Raiders, but... You have a hand of cards you're going to play probably each round. And when do I play the five? Do I use my one? Is this the right moment? He does do that really well. Um, Just reclaiming my time here as president of the club, I will remind everyone that um, we are blessed today to be discussing what we know to be the greatest living designer in this space. In the space of gateway games, Phil Walker Harding is doing it the best Um, for exactly the reasons you said. But my something I'm learning about myself as a board gamer, especially as I play prototypes is I love games that pay attention to flow, the flow of Mm. a turn structure and the flow of the decision space as well. The way that this game gives you options and lets you know their consequences in a pretty straightforward way allows this game to move along and be enjoyable for just about everybody. And I think it's true that the point scheme is a little controlled and, and balanced in a way that makes it uh, you know, pretty close even for novice players. That's kind of a hallmark of a lot of great gateway games. Um, it still has so much to offer for people that you know want to be thinking big picture and pull off a couple of great moves. So I'm sticking by number one tile-laying game all time for me, Baron Park by Phil Walker Harding. Thank you. Thank you. And now if there's any questions at all why we call you the president nope. of the Phil Walker Hardest Fan Club on our Discord, I think those doubters have been silenced. Sent uh, away. It's very clear. Yeah. Um, well, thank you, Paul, so much for your time. Thank you all so much for Thanks, listening guys. to this week's episode of Decision Space. As always, you can find all our links in the show notes for this podcast we'd really love if you want to jump into the discord and hang out and talk with us we'd love reviews and if you're so inclined we also have a patreon paul anything you have to plug today um not much Uh, all i can tell you is we're working hard on the honey buzz expansions fall flavors um that is getting really close to uh production probably and i hope to see some folks at origins i'll be there hopefully with a prototype playing and also playing some star realms Awesome. Amazing. Thank you so much again, Paul, and happy birthday. We're so lucky that you spent at least a little bit of it with us today. Hope you have a blast. See y'all next week. And thanks as always to Hembry for our intro and outro music. Reach out.